If you have a copy of the scriptures, I invite you to look with me in the book of Romans. We're in chapter 12 this morning, so we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 21. And before I read those, I want to give you uh, just a couple things of, by way of introduction. One, I want to give you just a quick health update. So this past Monday, I had my last infusion, and um, that was really nice to get behind me. So I'm not feeling great today, but I'm not feeling horrible. How about that? So I got another 50% dosage this past time, and so it's a little bit easier to tolerate than the full 100% dosage, dosage of, the, of the drug. So it was nice to have that and to some extent be behind me. I'm still having the side effects of neuropathy and whatnot, so if you see me going like this with my hands, it's just because they feel numb or start tingling all of a sudden. So just know that's what it is. I'm not, uh, not going to pass out. Um, just... I just feel funny, you know. Um, I'm also taking the other drug this week, and so tonight will be my last dosage of the second drug, and therefore, this, tonight should be the end of this round of chemo. So I'm very excited and thankful for that. So I can't wait till tomorrow morning and uh, be done with chemo stuff, hopefully forever, but uh, we'll see what the Lord has in store. But thank you for your prayers and for your concern. Um, it's, uh, it's good to be at this spot. Can I say that? And I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful that you've been with me along the journey and been praying for me and inquiring and asking and all those things that you've been doing. Thank you very much. So that's a brief update on my health. Uh, I, my surveillance starts again a week from Tuesday. I'll tell you more about that next week. So I got that to look forward to. Um, uh, I mean that somewhat sarcastically. So because all I can do now is fear that something's back already, right? So, makes sense, right? I'm a normal human being. I have worries and fears. Uh, surprise! Um, I need the very thing I'm trying to give you, which is the truth. So, next, let's remember where we are in the book of Romans. Remember, as we go through this book together, I want you to understand the book. I want to go through it fast enough to where you can think about the whole book together at the end, so that at the end of our study, you're like, oh, I understand Romans better. The whole thing, and how it fits within the whole arc of the story of Scripture. So, Verses, or excuse me, chapters 12 through 16, where we are now, mark a big shift in the book. So chapters 1 through 11 were telling us what the gospel is over and over and over and over and over from all kinds of different vantage points. Chapters 12 through 16 talk about a gospel culture, meaning if chapter 1 through 11 is true, it produces something in our lives. And collectively, it means that the church should function in a certain way, that there should be a certain type of gospel culture. The culture of the church should reflect what we have learned the gospel actually is. So Paul writes 12 through 16 to say, this is what, if the gospel is alive in your life, this is what it should look like. So verses 1 through 8 are reminding us that God gives gifts to the church so that because of the gospel, we live our lives as a living sacrifice. That's what we looked at two weeks ago. So this morning, verses 9 through, 11, 9 through 21 are just going to get more granular. They're going to get more practical, more specific about what it looks like to live a life in which we are a living sacrifice. We are offering ourselves all the time as a living sacrifice. So 9 through 21 are going to give us three characteristics of um, three characteristics of a gospel culture, a gospel life, all right? Come back to that. So I want to read verses 9 through 21, but we're going to do this a little different this morning. So if you're already checking out, come on back, because <laughs> this is what's going to happen. 
What Chad and I have worked on this week is somewhat of a parallel. So you all as the congregation are going to read verses collectively together out loud as you see them on the screen. All right? And what's going to happen is this. After you read, for example, verse 9, you're going to stop, and then I'm going to read verse 9. But here's what Chad and I worked on. 9 through 21 is presenting to us what a gospel culture looks like. So my reading is going to be what American culture is like. Because I want you to understand the difference. Because if you're like me, you hear verses 9 through 21 and all you think is moralism. And I want you to understand this is much deeper than that. It's not just that you staple these moralistic things onto your life. It's that in understanding what's being described, you might see Jesus. And as these things that we're going to read together become true, guess what? We're becoming more like Christ. The point of the imperatives, the commands in the scripture is to show us Jesus. It's not just to make us think, oh, I got to do that. Ah, here's a new list. It's helping us to see Christ. So, y'all are going to read gospel culture, then there's going to be a blank screen, and I'm going to read American culture. You got it? All right, so let's try this, okay? And if we mess up, who cares? Okay? Let's just try it. All right, so y'all start with verse 9, whenever you want, all together. American culture says, let love be defined as unqualified affirmation. Abhor what is evil to you. Hold fast to yourself. Next. Love one another when convenient. Demand that others honor you. Be zealous for something. Be emotional. Serve yourself. Rejoice in success. Avoid hardship. Be vigilant in self-preservation. Make sure people are building you up. Seek to get what you can from others. Purpose to overthrow those who persecute you. Ignore and don't hesitate to cancel. Rejoice with those who rejoice in what you are happy about. Acknowledge those who weep. Live in harmony with those who agree. Be proud and make sure you are getting ahead. Trust your heart.
repay when needed. Someone's agenda will prevail. If possible, as much as you can, realize consuming is what life is about. Friends, never forget the chip on your shoulder. When the time is right and you see a way to gain advantage, do it. As a matter of fact, help those lower than you to make yourself feel more powerful and justified in the way you choose to live. Do not be overcome by what you think is evil. Overcome evil with almighty self. Can you sense the distinction there? You see how this is so much deeper than just moralist, a moralistic list? It's a way of living. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand your word. Lord, some of us may not even know why we're here. We may be confused about your truth. We may be just thinking about it for the first time. We might be here because we're troubled. We might be here and we're really encouraged and just are hungry for more. Lord, you have all kinds of plans for us. A lot of times we don't even know what they are. But we do know that you've established worship so that we might meet with you, so that we might gain a fresh sense of the power of Jesus' life over death, so that we might know something of the power of your spirit at work through your word. So challenge us and correct us Build us up, equip us. Whatever needs to happen, Lord, have your way with us. Bring us to Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Remember, the gospel produces a certain type of life. And this morning we're going to look at three characteristics. We said a couple weeks ago that the first eight verses are not a job description. They're more of things that we should emphasize. They're more characteristics. They're more a description of what God is doing in the life of his people. So this morning we look at three characteristics in these verses 9 through 21. I'll give them to you and we'll work our way through them. Characteristic number one is this. Care about other people. Number two, share your life And three, navigating danger. You read back through these verses, you'll see that they talk about caring about other people. They talk about sharing your life. They talk about navigating danger. So let's start with the first one, caring about others. 
This corresponds with, for those of you that take notes, if you don't want to write this down, of course you don't have to. But if you take notes, I want you to see this comes from the text. So the first one, that you just care about people. In other words, you'd be open to people. It corresponds with verse 9, the A part and the end of it, the first and the last part of verse 9. It corresponds to verse 12, corresponds to, excuse me, yeah, verse 9, A and C, 11 and 12. So that's what we're thinking about. That's where I'm getting this stuff. So notice how it begins. Let love be genuine. In other words, love should not be hypocritical. Love should be sincere. Love should be honest. It means that we shouldn't act outwardly nice, but inside we're super judgy. Convict anybody already? Let love be genuine. And then Paul continues on as if to say, this is what a normal life following Jesus looks like. You depend on the Spirit, you talk to God, that's prayer, and you live with enthusiasm. You shouldn't live as if you're cynical of everything. You shouldn't live as if you're afraid of everything. You shouldn't live as if you are skeptical of everyone and everything because you're afraid of doing something wrong or afraid of what may happen. It means that you live with enthusiasm because you don't belong to yourself. You belong to God and you trust him and what he's doing. And that means that you don't have to pray for a certain amount of time every day. It just means that the disposition of your life is that you talk to God. It doesn't mean that you make perfect prayers. It just means that you talk to God. It doesn't mean that the, that the Holy Spirit comes upon you and makes you talk funny. It means that you depend upon the Spirit as you live. That you're not thinking about yourself so much. You're thinking about God in your life. And that there is a genuineness to who you are. That you no longer are having to put up a facade of fakeness. You're not faking it till you make it. If you get in situations where you need to be honest, guess what? Yeah, you might have to figure out how to say something appropriately, but you're honest. You're not passive aggressive. You're not trying to start conversations in which you really are after this, but you start here so you can work your way in. No, you're upfront. You're honest. There's sincerity. People look at you and say, oh, well, my interactions with them, they're straightforward. They're honest. They might say you're humble. They might say that you're slow to speak. They might say, you know what, it's kind of hard to get their opinion sometimes, but I know that the closer I get with them, I'll find out more and more about what they think and say. There's genuineness there. There's sincerity. There's a life that's being lived enthusiastically. It doesn't mean that you have to be extroverted. It doesn't mean that you have to be rah-rah, that you're ready to march the hill, scream from the mountaintop. It just means that your life has purpose. And that purpose is something that is outside of yourself. That means that you're open to others. It means what's assumed here in those verses, not verse 9, the first part and the last part, verse 11 and 12, the assumption is that life is hard. Do you think life is easy? Are you here because you think Christianity can make your life easy? You just get the right, you know, algorithm together and then the, the, the output will happen for you? Life is hard. 
Life is not easy. Christianity does not make life easy. It's if you just do the right things and you won't have the same kind of challenges or same kind of struggle. That's not it. The assumption is that life is hard. And in a world that can increasingly wants to deny reality, here comes Christianity saying, hey, let me tell you, life is hard. There are things about it that just suck. They're just awful. If you know what they are, look at my life. If you need to know more, come and talk to me. I'll tell you. You could too. Many of you are going through and have gone through harder things than I have. I know it. I know it. How have the last two years been for you? You fall into the temptation of thinking, you know what? This COVID thing has been a real disaster. I'm going to withdraw. Just serve myself. This is a wake-up call to re-engage. Re-engage with a real life, sincerity, genuineness, caring about other people. That means if you want to put a fine point on this, here it is. Do you care about anyone other than yourself? Do you care? And oh, by the way, thinking about sincerity, loving genuinely, and knowing that life is hard, hmm, think about living with enthusiasm. Does that remind you of anyone? Does that remind you of some guy named Jesus who loved sincerely, who lived with enthusiasm, who had a really hard life and entered into that? for people like you and me? Does that remind you of Jesus at all? Because it's meant to. Let's look at number two. Sharing your life. This corresponds with verse 10. It corresponds with verse um, 13 and uh, verse 15 and verse 16. The idea here is something that you've heard before. It's actually a famous city in our country, Philadelphia. You ever heard of that place? Listen to what it says in verse 10. Let one another, love one another with brotherly affection. The idea is this sense of loving one another in a brotherly sense, a familial sense. What this is talking about is the kind of love that is developed when people are put together that wouldn't normally choose one another. Get it? You didn't choose your family. But somehow over time, even though you've had to figure out the hard things, you love your family. There's something natural about it and crazy. It's not erotic. It's the kind of love that develops when people who wouldn't choose each other get in the same place and go through similar things and experience many similar things. That there's an appreciation for one another, an understanding that grows with being around one another. You've seen this in the workplace. You've seen this in uh, uh, organizations or committees that you've been on or organizations you've been part with, uh, a part of. You have uh, perhaps experienced this with various teams that you follow, athletic teams or other teams. How many of you, if you think about it, could think about a team at work that, you work, that, that you're a part of or uh, um, 
uh, uh, committees, meetings, or, or even sports teams that have a tremendous amount of talent, but they don't make much progress because there's no real bond that exists there. And other teams that you might cheer for or that you've been a part of may not have the most talent, but they somehow make an incredible amount of progress because there is a bond that has formed in which that team really, really works well together and makes far more progress than a more talented bunch because something is missing. Skills, at the end of the day, don't cut it completely, do they? You can be super smart and super gifted, but if you don't have a good team and you're not part of a good team, it's not going to go very far. You're not going to make very much progress because you need the bond. You need something to develop that, co that is cohesive through experience and challenge and difficulty in which you see new things in other people. You get it? You have to have experiences in which you live with people, you know something about their life, and you begin to understand them more, and they you, and a bond is formed, and you think to yourself, wow, I would never have chosen to be that person's friend. And guess what? They're pretty amazing. Let me try to make this even more granular. If you look back over your life, can you ever... Have you ever said this when talking to a friend? You know, so-and-so and I have nothing in common, but I really like them. Those words ever come out of your mouth before? If not, make it happen. Come on. Have you ever said to a friend before about someone else, you know, I don't really know this person at all, but there is something about them that is kind of captivating, that I want to explore, that I want to know more about. Have you ever said that? Because if you have, what is starting to happen in your life is this. You're starting to move beyond yourself. And you're starting to not evaluate people based on your criteria of what is acceptable. It means that you're starting to care about another person based upon who they are, not whether or not they have to line up with your criteria. It means that you stop interviewing people without telling them that you're interviewing them. It means that you stop putting people on probation without telling them that you're just treating them as if they're on probation until you see if they line up with your criteria or not. And the minute they don't, the minute they don't line up with something that you like, boom, they're to the side. We live in a culture that pretty much demands that your friends should all agree with you. And if they don't, They're not as close as you thought they were. <clears throat> Have you ever said, wow, this person and I don't agree on this major thing in life, but there's something about them that's compelling and I want to know more. That's what Paul is describing. That's what the gospel produces in us. 
The gospel produces a characteristic in which we start caring about and loving people for who they are. Not whether or not they line up with us on everything. Matter of fact, the idea that someone may not agree with us might help expand our minds. It might even stretch our faith in new ways because maybe they would think or say something that makes you rethink what the Bible says about something. And it means that a growth happens. It means that the bond occurs. It means that a relationship is actually developed in which there's respect and actual love. You see, when you become part of God's church, what actually happens is you begin to have relationships with people that you may not choose to have a relationship with. Well, hunches, if you look around the room, you might think, yep, if it weren't for Christ's prayers, I would never have chosen this person to be a friend. Maybe that's happened. And my hunch is God is laughing and smiling, saying, oh, I know. And love is growing in your heart. And you're growing as a human being because it's the way that God gets you outside of yourself. It's the way that you start looking at people in a different way than just whether or not they serve me and my purposes. In other words, when you start getting to know people, you might start to have emotional connections with them. You know, the text talks about weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice. When you start caring about people that are different than you, to the point where you start weeping with them or rejoicing with them, you're emotionally connected. It means that you might actually be able to rejoice with someone who experiences or has something that you don't. And you might even want it. But you're happy that they have it. You're happy that they've had that experience and you haven't. You begin to rejoice with them because they are rejoicing about something. Not because you're jealous. Not because you wish they were them, that you were them. And when they weep, you're able to cry with them even if you haven't experienced the exact same thing because you care about them and you can tell that something is bothering them. And when they begin to get emotional, you can go there with them. Not because you can completely sympathize, not because you can completely empathize, but because they are weeping. No strings attached. You can just enter in. You see, when you become part of God's church, we have obligations to one another. So when the text talks about sharing with one another, that means that as you are part of Christ's prayers, you have obligations to one another that involve your time, your resources, your energies, your care, so that you can't honestly say, you know what, I'm part of this group, but you know what, they don't get my resources. I'm part of this group, but uh, uh, no, 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 they can't enter into my emotional life. God is building a people that look very unique, that are from all different types of experiences and have all different kinds of backgrounds. And God's bringing them together 
So they would share time and share resources and share all that they are with one another. It's beautiful. And you won't find it anywhere else. In other words, if the first idea was really asking the question, do you care? This one is saying how you care for one another. And oh, by the way, does it remind you of anyone? You know, do you know anybody that decided that he was going to die for you so that you could have all of his resources? Sound familiar? So that, so that he would obligate himself to you and say, no, 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 I'll be with you and I'm interested in you for you. You got questions? You got concerns? Are you messed up? You really excited? Jesus is interested, Right? How interested has he been in your life just for you? He's been telling you through the cross and telling you through the resurrection that all of his resources are for you. All that he's done is for you. And that you have access to those. You have access to his grace and his love and his power and the hope that he gives. All this is telling you about Christ. Let's look at the third one, navigating danger. This corresponds with the middle part of verse 9. It also corresponds with verse 14 and 17 and 18 through 21. You can go back and read those if you like. He's talking about navigating danger. Remember, the assumption is that life is hard. So he lays out, well, how in the world do we respond to evil and danger and darkness? What do we, what do, we do? Well, let's start here. I want to give you three levels of danger, just so you can help think through your own life. Three levels of danger. Here's one level. And this may, this may pop some bubbles for your experience or even your current relationships. I don't know. But just hang on. You are going to experience people in your life this is level one. They just don't like you. And that may be a newsflash to you. Many of you have had enough experience that you know that already. But for those of you that don't, I'm sorry to be the first person to tell you. You're going to meet people who just don't like you. And if you're like me, it's one of the hardest things to get over. Because you haven't done anything wrong. They just don't like you. It could be the team that you cheer for. It could be your job. It could be the way you look. It could be a zillion things about you. They just don't like you. And there is nothing you can do about it. You just have to accept it. It's part of living in a world that is really difficult, that's really broken. There are just going to be people that don't like you. Here's another level. There will be people who will do things to harm you. They will do things to hurt you. And there's a whole continuum, a whole spectrum of that. But you will have people in your life that will do things to hurt you intentionally. It will occur for a period of time. They may stop because you move away. Maybe you punch them in the face. Just kidding. Something may happen. I mean, that's a reality. 
I certainly have ended some relationships before by punching somebody in the face. Sadly. Well, when you attacked my brother, I had to do something, you know? <laughs> there will be people who do things to harm you. It's just true. What do we do? Hang on with that. But it's just true. And here's the third level. There may be people in your life that you set their entire agenda, that they are perpetually and consistently committed, not just in the short term for hurting you, but consistently over a long period of time doing everything they can to bring you down. They will lie. They will say things to your face. They will try to hurt you to other people that may know you. But you, your existence becomes their agenda for what they want to do. And it has everything to do with trying to perpetually hurt you and destroy you. And I hope you don't have to experience that. But you might. And do you know what the Bible says on how to respond to all that? Here's what it says. Let me read them to you. Verse 9. Abhor. That means be horrified by what is evil. So when you come in contact with danger, it ought to horrify you. Listen to this, verse 14. Bless. Here's another response. You gotta bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. That doesn't mean you swear word. It's talking about calling down a curse from God. Don't curse. You're supposed to bless. How about verse 17? Repay no one evil for evil. At the end of verse 17, live peaceably with all. Verse 19, don't take any revenge, leave that for God. How about this, verse 20 and 21? Feed people, give them something to drink, heap coals on their head. And finally, overcome evil with good. So what do you do? How do you navigate danger? How, what do you do when people just don't like you? What do you do when people are actively hurting you? What do you do when people are persistently, con consistently want to bring you down? What do you do? Well, those are the answers. So let's work our way through. See if we can make sense of some of this in a practical way. Let's start here. Friends, if someone is doing something to you that is very dangerous and very evil, if you respond in kind, evil is winning. Take that in. If someone says something against you that isn't true and you respond by saying the same thing back to them that may not be true, you've just allowed evil to further and make progress. That means if you have been hurt really bad, as bad as you've been hurt, I can't put a number on that. If you have been hurt and your response to that hurt is this, I refuse to forgive. 
I will not trust people. I'm cynical about people. I'm cynical about the world. I'm super cynical about God. Guess what? Evil's winning. Evil has a foothold in your life. If you've been hurt so bad that all that comes out of it is to focus on yourself and to not forgive and not move forward and not deal with what's going on, evil is gaining ground. And that may mean that you've got some things to unpack in your life. I can't tell you that I have all the answers. But if you need to talk about that, please pursue someone to talk about that. And I'm telling you that I will. Can't do all of you at the same time. But I'm being sincere. If you are at a place where you've been hurt and it has turned into you can't forgive, you won't forgive, you're cynical about God, angry with God, angry with people, evil is gaining ground. That's what the text is saying. That's why it says don't return evil for evil. That's why it says don't curse. Next, don't take revenge. Leave space for God to avenge. If you believe in the story of Scripture, then you believe that God created, we rebelled, Jesus came to accomplish redemption, and that one day restoration will happen, right? That means that one day God will make all things the way it should be. That means that every wrong that has ever been done to you will be turned into right. That means the day is coming in which he will take vengeance. That means you can leave it to him as difficult as that may be. It may take you years to give something to God, to say, Lord, I don't want to take revenge anymore. It may take you years to get to that point. I completely understand that. But also know this, that God sees, sees things you don't. And there may be reasons why you are justifiably upset and angry because you've been hurt or wronged, sinned against. But guess what? God knows more about what's going on in their heart than you do. Leave it to him. Even if it takes you years Give it to him. Leave it to him. Don't take revenge. God will take care of it. Here's another option to think through. If your enemy does something, and there's a lot of danger going on, a lot of evil happening, how do we make sense of this in 2021? Food, drink, heap coals on their head. What does that mean? Well, here's another option that we have. See, in the ancient world, when city would attack city, you'd either have to go through the front gate or go over the wall. So the soldiers would come and attack. And people who were inside the gate that were being attacked would climb up to the top. Maybe there was a ledge. And they would throw stuff over the top that would fall down on those that are attacking. And if I put myself in that position... It's kind of hard to wield a sword when something is falling on my head. Those of you that have been here for a couple years, um, do you remember that day when it was hard for me to preach because there was a bee flying around my head? Yeah, how about that? Same kind of concept. What's being said is this. 
Hey, you need to be prepared to normally relate with other people. Food and drink. You need to be prepared to, in some type of cordial manner, be able to understand that this person who has wronged you severely needs to eat and needs to drink. And at the same time, when they continue to attack, stop them. Do something to get their attention and tell them no more. It doesn't mean that you have to blow them up. It doesn't mean that you have to annihilate them. What it means is you say, stop. Enough is enough. And beloved, if you don't do that, and if you are unwilling to do that, that is one of the most unloving things that you could ever do is to let someone who is evil and disruptive to continue to attack and be disruptive and to further evil. You must be able to say to someone, stop. And I will make you stop. We're not gonna be best friends. I'm not gonna engage you for a long time, but I'm gonna make it hard for you to continue to attack me. And to press that even further, there are going to be people perhaps in your life where if they are to come around you, you will do nothing but make them sin. Guess what? Stay away. Stay away. Stay away. Let them do what they're going to do and you stay away. Do not be a cause for someone else to sin. Just don't do it. Just avoid, walk away. God desires us to stand up to what is wrong and to say it's wrong and to at least sound an alarm. You can't keep attacking here. In other words, all this boils down to is the gospel, right? Overcome evil with Good. Do you know what the best thing in the world is? Do you know what good means? Sacrifice. All this that we've talked about is very difficult. It all requires sacrifice. Sound familiar? You ever heard of somebody who faced evil before? You ever heard of somebody that some people just didn't like him? Not because he did anything wrong, they just didn't like him. You ever heard of somebody who uh, was attacked, you know, just attacked, said things about that were not true, that were false? You ever, you ever known anybody who was ultimately put to death, not because they did anything wrong, but his very existence became their agenda and they desired to kill him and try to wipe, them, wipe him off the face of the earth? Does that sound familiar to you? His name is Jesus. He's endured all of this. And guess what? He didn't curse. He left vengeance for God. He blessed. He overcame evil with sacrifice. Do you see, beloved? We are by nature a bad people. And the good thing has happened to us. We've been redeemed. 
because the worst thing, the cross, has happened to the best person, Jesus. And that produces in us a desire to see more good things happen to more bad people because that's what the gospel culture is. Because that's the message of the gospel itself that we rebelled against God and we're bad and God makes good things happen because of what he has done in Jesus for people like you and me. That means in our lives, the gospel is not simply this idea that we kind of, you know, may uh, intellectually think about. It's not this abstract thing. The gospel becomes the way we begin to process our lives, process our relationships, process the challenges that we face, process danger. Because that's when the gospel begins to be the animating force in our lives. It's God's power. It's power into salvation. And friends, that's what brings us to the table.